Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. We're going to open our Bibles in just a minute to Acts, so get your Bible out. Uh, I had a chance, I'm a movie guy, I saw Solo with my wife uh, yesterday. Anybody seen it yet? Yeah, I'd say strong, not amazing, but I was pleased. But what I was more pleased by, and what I think many of you have no concept of, is the fact that I'm sitting in the theater and I'm watching like the, the awesome role of you know, the description that starts all the Star Wars movies, and I'm thinking, there's gonna be a Star Wars movie coming out for the next 30 years every year. Do you know that? And do you know how unthinkable that was like 10 years ago? I mean, I, I'm a guy, I, I actually, check this out, I watched the first Star Wars, is that episode four, is that right? I'm not a total geek, but I watched it at a drive-in movie with my parents. <laughs> and then I went to drive-in movies and didn't watch a lot of the movies later on as a teenager. We were doing other things, but I remember, I remember just being in shock and awe what I was seeing with the lightsabers and the story. And then the prequels happened, and that was an utter disaster. Am I right? I mean, bad writing, bad acting, the fiasco that was Jar Jar Binks, it was just all bad. And, and we just thought, it's over, it is toast, and now we're living in the new golden age of Star Wars. Praise the Lord, right? So, however, I, so I like Solo, but I really like Last Jedi, that was great. And not, not as a spoiler, I don't think this is a spoiler if you haven't seen it, but the very, very end, I mean like the last 30 seconds of Last Jedi, something significant happens. You guys remember what it is? And it doesn't involve any of the main characters. It involves this little boy who's a slave on some planet I can't remember the name of. And he reaches for a broom, and what happens? You guys remember? The broom comes to him. And there's just something. It's kind of like a little magic, like, what's that? He reaches up for it, but he doesn't grab it. It comes to him, and what it seems to indicate is the same force that fills, like, these elite Jedi that have been watching now, movie after movie, is now being open source to everyone. Everyone gets to play. And last week, Darren did a predictably awesome talk on the Holy Spirit. You know, it's funny, Darren was talking about the first time he preached. I was there, it was terrible. I've said that before. I just, <laughs> I just wanna keep, in some ways, keeping him humble, reminding him of that. And now he's one of my favorite preachers of all time. But man, his sweet spot is the Spirit. I loved hearing that message. And this idea of the equation, not a formula, but really these postures that we take when combined that lead us to, to a greater sense of being empowered by the Spirit. Do you guys remember what they were? I'm, I haven't remember my notes. Let me see if I get it. So intimacy, right? Faith, gifts, and holiness. There you go. And again, that's not a formula, but man, as you find a way for those postures to converge in your heart and life, he said we can grow in the sense of being empowered by the Spirit. And Unlike The Last Jedi, unlike Star Wars, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's not this power that is this amoral, impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is powerful, but he is personal. And last week, we also celebrated an important birthday. Do you remember what birthday it was? Anyone? Bueller? Pentecost, yeah. It was the birthday, it's funny, in, in our church, we have this little church plan, and uh, I threw that out there. Hey, happy birthday. Does anybody know whose birthday it is? And somebody said, the Holy Spirit. It was not the Holy Spirit's birthday. 
Holy Spirit doesn't have a birthday because he is the eternal God. Instead, it was the birthday of us, the church. So happy birthday again. Um, it's the birthday of the church, but Pentecost, if you, some of you may, may or may not know, was this thing we read about Acts chapter two. Now the name Pentecost was actually the name of the Jewish feast or festival happening at the time. That wasn't celebrating the, the giving of the spirit, it was celebrating the giving of the law. It, it falls 50 days after Passover. So 50 days, days after Passover, all the, the, the tribes um, from all over the world would come together once again in Jerusalem and celebrate the feast of Pentecost. But this time, instead of you know, celebrating the giving of the law, which is a different way to live, suddenly people were introduced to a different power to live by, the Holy Spirit. And the Pentecost is, is really this fulfillment, Darren talked about this last week, of, of Jesus' words, Jesus' prophetic promise that as he needed to go, someone was gonna come that somehow is even better. Name the Holy Spirit, a comforter, an advocate, a guide, a counselor. And that's not just Jesus' words. That is really God's promise throughout the, the whole story of God. If we go back to the very beginning, I mean, literally Genesis 1, we won't open our Bibles there, but Genesis 1, in the first couple verses, we see the Spirit of God hovering over creation. And that, that word in Hebrew, the Spirit, is, is the breath of God, the breath of God breathing life into the forming of all things, breathing life into Adam and Eve. And then we, we see how important God's presence is with Adam and Eve in Eden. Now, when that gets broken and it goes really bad, as we know, God has this redemptive way where he says, I want to restore my presence to my people. And so we're just going to see these recurring themes to the whole story of God, how important it is for the presence of God to be in the midst of the people of God. It's everything to God's people. And, you know, there's these dark times, uh, you know, fast forward to Egypt. Many of you know this story where, you know, for 400 plus years, God's people, the descendants of Abraham, are enslaved under a foreign king in a foreign land, but then God leads them out, and as they are led across the Red Sea, they begin to be led once again by the presence of God. And it's manifest, it's actually a physical uh, force being a pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. But we see, we get this glimpse, if you read through Exodus and Numbers and these accounts, you get this sense of how important it is for the presence of God to be with the people of God. So important that in Numbers 9, I love this passage, it's, it's kind of this weird little passage, but it describes how here are a whole lot of people being led by Moses. I mean, by most accounts, at least over a million people. Think of the, just think of the mess of that. Think of, you know, a lot of parents raise your hands. Think of the pack and plays. Think about the goat pens. Think about the, you know, the tents you're trying to just get into the ground. And it says in Numbers 9, when the cloud began to move, whether it was a month, whether it was a week, or whether it was even a day, all the people would have to get ready to move because they didn't want to be left behind by the presence of God. It was so critical that they stayed in the presence of God. In fact, there's a famous conversation that Moses has with God in Exodus 30, 15. And in that conversation, many of you know this conversation, God is really frustrated. There's this thing that happened with the golden calf. We won't go there. God is saying, look, Moses, I'm gonna point the way. I'll send you guys forward. You take my people into the promised land. I'm over it. And Moses says, no way. 
No way. Because unless you go with us, we're not going anywhere. Because it's not about where, it's about who. Who are we without you? We are people marked by your presence. So again, the theme here is the presence of God, the spirit of God. The spirit of God is everything to the people of God. Now, Darren talked about last week how the biggest game change is that the spirit of God fills Jesus the God-man here on earth. And so generations and generations later, we see the spirit perfectly fill Jesus Jesus is conceived by the Spirit. It is baptism. He is affirmed by the Spirit. This, you know, the presence of a dove saying the Holy Spirit is saying, yes, this is my guy. I mean, these, you know, this is the mystery of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And then Jesus begins to showcase what is really the perfectly Spirit-filled life. I mean, crazy power, authority, wisdoms, wisdom, the miraculous happening out of Jesus. But then there is this shocking statement And the statement is this, in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you, another friend to be with you. And in John 16, 7, he says this, but truly I tell you, it's for your good that I am going away. So here's here's what wouldn't have made sense at all is, you know, just as these early Jesus followers were getting confident in man, as long as we're with Jesus, we're good. Jesus says, no, I need to go because there's one that's coming and I'm not here to be the bottleneck. I'm not here to be the lone dispenser of the spirit. The spirit is gonna be unleashed on everyone. God's presence made manifest in everyone. Jesus had described himself as a temple. And in the Old Testament, we see that there are only like temporary and selective moments that the spirit came. It was certain places like the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant. Ultimately, the temple was Solomon. You know, Solomon had built this building. The building was nothing. It was all about the presence of God filling it. There were people like Saul and Gideon, uh, Joshua, who are just temporarily filled by the Spirit. And now Jesus starts describing himself as the temple. Then he starts telling us we're to be the temple. And you see that everything's changing. And that's where we land at Pentecost. And Pentecost is when the temple being the whole people of God are made ready to be filled. And, you know, this group of about 100 totally scared and shaken Jesus followers as he ascends are rocked by tongues of fire. Jerusalem is shaken at its core. 3,000 are not only saved, but filled, empowered to really spark a movement. And it's all about the presence of God being with filling, empowering the people of God. And that was just my intro. Sorry about that. That was, just, that was just a backdrop for what a big deal. Can we agree? Pentecost was a big deal. And, and what happened in Pentecost, I think it's Acts chapter three, is you have the, the religious power brokers of that time that are going, oh man, we're in trouble, first of all. The, the Jewish power brokers that are holding sort of the, 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 you know, the, the system together of law and works And there's a great comment where they say they are shocked because these are just unschooled, ordinary men doing unexplainable things. And today what we're gonna do is we're gonna look on further at just how the spirit works. Now, now Darren talked in wonderful ways about what does it mean to grow in authority and power. Today, I just wanna really continue that conversation out of Acts 16 and talk about 
how do we see the, the spirit beginning to work in the, the life of the church, this early church that's beginning to explode, and also in the life of his people? And so, and here's my thesis. Uh, I'll just let you have it right off the bat. It's that the Holy Spirit works in unexpected places, in unexpected people, in unexpected ways. That's what we're gonna see. Uh, that, that when we say Holy Spirit come, which I think you guys say a lot, I, we say a lot, I love that posture that faith led us in of opening our hands. We're not saying, hey, come do our will. Come bend to our agenda. We're gonna watch that the Spirit has his own agenda. Again, he's not an it, and he's not the force that can be wielded for great good or evil. He is a him. He is a, a mysterious part of, of the, the Godhead, the, the Trinity, but that he works in unexpected people, in unexpected places, in unexpected ways. So Acts 16, if we turn there, uh, we, we're gonna look at three exhibits of this, exhibit A, B, and C. But to give you context, so Paul is on his second missionary journey. And so the church is beginning to push out from Jerusalem. Uh, they have this beachhead in Antioch and just pushing out across the Middle East through Asia. And they are striking out again. Paul has a new team. He has this guy Silas with him that he's becoming friends with, this young guy, Timothy. Timothy has to get circumcised to go on this mission. So if you've ever thought it costs a lot for you to go on a mission trip, think about that for a minute. <laughs> Don't think too hard. Uh, but anyway, moving on. And so... Let me read from verse uh, six. I think the verses will be on the screen. This describes this fun way that they set out and get directed and redirected by the Spirit. It says, Paul and his companions, this is Acts 16, six, traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they then came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So we see these interesting glimpses of their setting out, and what they're gonna attempt to do is go strengthen and encourage some existing churches that have been planted. But as they are moving, God keeps kind of closing doors, redirecting them. It's finally, they're, they're trying to go up into kind of Asia. God's pushing towards the coast. He's gonna lead them across the waters into Europe, and it's in a place called Troas, that Paul has a vision. It says, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. So you see, as they get clarity, they move. But one thing that this is kind of a side note is that they are moving. I was talking to my friend Amanda, who's playing keyboard here today, and she's, she's diving into worship. And I was saying, you know, the best way to grow is just to dive in and get moving. And my friend Mike, who's a great friend of mine that's a pastor, has this great line. He says, God doesn't steer parked cars. I like that line a lot. Think about that. Because so many people, especially from, you know, millennial generation, there's just this paralysis of what should I do? Which way should I go? And there's just this, well, I'm just going to wait until it's so clear. And what you see here in Acts 16 is, no, they're moving. And, and there are times in Acts 15 where it just says it seemed good to them to do this, so they did it. And it seems good to them to do this, and they did it. And so there was discernment, wise counsel, they prayed, and it seemed good to get going, but then God, through his Holy Spirit, through his presence, was perfectly capable of redirecting them once they are in motion. Does it make sense? And that's important to realize that, that as we're in motion, the Spirit can redirect us, but where they land is a, a town called Philippi. And uh, let's read in verse 13. It says, On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, 
where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of uh, Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And then it goes on to say that uh, her household was baptized. She invited them into their home. So what's going on here? Well, they land not in Asia, not in any place where there are these churches existing. They land in a town called Philippi, which should be familiar to some of us that have been around the church for a while because there's a book called Philippians. And so what we're getting is a sneak preview of a church that hasn't yet been planted that's described in the book of Philippians. But as they land, this is a, you know, this Greco-Roman city and culture, and what you can't do is just show up and start preaching on the streets. There's all sorts of other gods that are recognized as true gods in this culture. And what was the normal MO for Paul and Barnabas and Silas and others was to go into a synagogue, kind of a safe haven. There was no synagogue here. And so instead, they hear of this prayer meeting happening down by the river, maybe a van down by the river, for all you SNL fans from the old school Chris Farley days. And so they go down to the river, and shockingly, they find a group of women leading out in prayer. Can I tell you as a pastor, that always is the case. I don't know what the deal is, but in my observation of the churches I've led, and most every other church, women step up in huge ways to carry the prayer torch. That's not necessarily good, guys. We need to come alongside. But in this case, there's a group of women, passionate women, that are praying and aren't necessarily Jesus followers, these are Jews. And then there's this woman, Lydia, who's a Gentile, but she's a God-fearing Gentile. What that means is she's been drawn in to the, to, to the Yahweh story, to the, the pre-Jesus God story. And she's also a prominent businesswoman. And it says that she's a dealer in purple cloth. I have no idea why purple was a big deal, but it was. That's an indicator in ways that we don't have time to get, go into that she wasn't dealing to Old Navy. She's dealing to Saks. I mean, she's... she's like a high-end businesswoman, a prominent business leader, and the Lord opens her heart. It's not that Paul and Barnabas had this compelling sermon they gave. The Lord opened their, her heart. The Holy Spirit is doing the work. And what's cool is her house becomes sort of the base of operations for the church that's to be planted. She becomes a significant leader in this church. But the very simple point is this. We have Lydia, Exhibit A, so we have an unexpected place. First of all, Philippi, not Asia, where they had attempted to go. But not only that, they're down by a river. They're not in the synagogue. So unexpected place, unexpected person, this, this female businesswoman who wouldn't have been the most likely candidate to start a church with. And finally, unexpected way, well, it's not, again, through a staged event. There are some of those we see, Paul giving these eloquent, brilliant sermons. That's not what's happening. It's just a riverside conversation. So we see the Holy Spirit as he is leading this team, leads them to an unexpected place, person, and way, but he doesn't end there. And then it goes on to say, once when we were going to that same place of prayer down by the river, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. Finally, this is such a great evangelism moment here. Finally, Paul became so annoyed, okay, uh, that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. 
So the story continues, and here they are. They're on the way, so they're not at the prayer meeting. They're certainly not at the synagogue. They're not preaching a sermon. They're just en route, and they're called out by this other woman, a very different woman. This is a young woman. She's a slave, and she's demon-possessed, and apparently this demonic spirit has given her the ability to see the future in ways that are profiting other people, these handlers she has. And she, like a magnet, we see this happen in the life of Jesus sometimes where you know, people that are possessed by these spirits are drawn to Jesus. They're just drawn to his authority. It's almost like a magnet. They can't help but going there. And it's like she can't help but, but shouting out. But what she shouts out, these are servants of the most high God bringing salvation would not have even made sense to her like in a human way because the most high God in this culture was Zeus. And salvation in her mind would be going from poverty to prosperity. Salvation in that culture was climbing a ladder, positionally or through wealth. But, so we hear that as a kind of Christianese statement of, you know, these are servants of Jesus bringing, you know, eternal life. She just is shouting this out, but she is right. They are servants of the Most High God. They are bringing salvation. And she finds salvation in, in an unexpected way. And, and again, exhibit B, so we had Lydia, now exhibit B. We have unexpected place. They're on the way. They haven't arrived. They're just on the way there. And they've been on this way several times. And it's in this moment that the, Paul is kind of, you know, provoked by frustration. An unexpected person. I mean, you know, here again is a founder of one of the most significant churches ever in the history of Christianity, and she's a demon-possessed slave girl. Pretty unexpected. And unexpected way. Paul wasn't even in the mood. <laughs> he wasn't even trying. He didn't even want in some ways to do this, but he was annoyed to the point where God said, finally, you've got, you know, I've got your attention, and we're going to get this done. So the last story, the last story, and then we just want to make some observations, follows right away. It's in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. And, you know, what happens is basically is this girl is set free from the spirit. She also loses her ability to tell the future, which really frustrates the people making money off that. So they orchestrate with the powers to be these trumped up charges to get Paul and team in jail. First they're beaten, then they're put in jail. And it says in verse 25 of Acts chapter 16, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So, we, you know, we see what's happening here is this jailer uh, is essentially ready to commit suicide because he realizes he's a dead man anyway. Paul and Silas are, are first of all, you know, worshiping in prison, we see this happen earlier in Acts as well. They're just saying, hey, why not? This is the perfect place to make much of God and see what happens. And something huge happens. Obviously, this earthquake comes and sets them free. And this cry that 
the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? You know, we, again, hear this. I, I'm a kid that grew up in the church. I hear that as a, how can I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior? And N.T. Wright, who's this brilliant theologian, New Testament scholar, suggests in his Acts commentary that that's probably not the best translation. Instead, what must I do to be saved to this jailer would probably mean, please tell me how to get out of this mess. <laughs> like, I'm in big, big trouble. Brothers, you have a power. You have something I don't. Tell me how to get out. S-O-S. He's just waving the white flag. But ironically, he's asking exactly the right question. In fact, N.T. Wright has a quote. I think we could have this on screen. He observes, believe in the Lord Jesus is always the answer to the question of how to be rescued at whatever level and in whatever sense. In other words, Paul and, Cyrus addressed, Paul and Silas addressed both the very specific question the jailer had asked and the deep, world deep, heart deep, God deep question, which with practice sigh, they can see lies beneath it. So what he's saying is, look, this guy doesn't know what to think other than he is in deep trouble and needs help. But they know who he needs, the Lord Jesus. And they know how the Lord Jesus is an answer to more of the questions than he even knows how to ask. And what happens is he ends up washing them, taking them to his house, his whole household is saved, and then we have another unlikely addition to the founding crew of the church in Philippi. And so that is exhibit C. So we have this jailer, unlikely guy, obviously jail, very unlikely place, and unlikely way, earthquake. That doesn't happen every day. But the point is, these are just the beginning chapters, really chapter one of a church, where the team, it's not about how good they are. It's not about their Jedi skills. It's about the fact that they are awake and available to be led by the Spirit of God. And what's interesting to take note of is the way it goes down is not the most likely expected predictable way. And it's not that the Holy Spirit doesn't move at times in predictable ways, but my experience, when I look back, and I've had a chance just in reading this passage to think back in my life, maybe some of you could do the same if you've been around church for a while like I have. In fact, Darren, you know, he talked last week about the fact that he didn't come from a background of church where the Holy Spirit was really a big part of the conversation, where there was really a fluency around the Spirit. And I, I certainly was in that case. All I knew of the Holy Spirit was things I saw on TV, weird people with weird hair and weird suits, and I wouldn't want to know part of that. That, that seemed just like, well, that's, that's the Holy Spirit people. And I remember when I was invited to be a part-time worship guy in this church plant in Costa Mesa, we had a house, this little house. It was unexplainably in an industrial parking lot. <laughs> Nobody had ever torn the house down. And it was just sitting empty, so they said, hey, you can use that for your offices. And so we would do our staff meetings in the garage. And we were having a staff meeting and doing a bit of worship. And, and here I'm a guy, I'm just trying to figure everything out. I've never been a pastor before, you know, let alone a pioneer of a church. And it was an unlikely place, it's a garage. Unlikely person, there was a woman who didn't speak any English. And her husband barely spoke English. And they kind of come into our story. We maybe had six or seven people on our largely volunteer team. But they come into our story, they had a passion to plant a church, and so we figured we'd end up sending them back out to plant or something. But this woman, I don't even remember her name, starts prophesying to the Spirit over this meeting. And her husband had to interpret it, but it got directed to me. And I was more than a little uncomfortable. It was weird. I just want to say that. 
But it wasn't weird so much as like creepy weird. It was weird because she was saying things about me. She was saying, hey, you are gonna play a significant role in not only leading this church, but helping lead many churches in Orange County. And it was the furthest thing from my mind. I'm like a worship dude. Just give me a keyboard. I wanna hide behind it. And there were things that she was saying that had an authority to it that I was like, I gotta at least write this down. And so it was unexpected person, unexpected place, unexpected way, just broke into our nicely planned worship set. And there was a moment where the Holy Spirit just did something there that he knew how to build on. I think about uh, a few years later, I ended up taking over that church. So that, that prophetic thing came true where I ended up leading that church. And my friend Don, you guys know Don Williams. He, he often is down here in the front looking a little disheveled, but awesome guy. One of my heroes, my, he's my mentor. Don introduced me to a friend of his named Robin. And we were in Ruby's San Juan Capistrano. I mean, could anything good come of Ruby's? Yes. And we're sitting in a booth. Robin walks in, and he is a quirky dude. And I think he'd admit that. He's a friend of Don's from a long time ago. I have no context for him. He walks in, and he sits down, and he says, Todd, I've been praying for you on the way over here. And God told me that you are what's on your T-shirt. And I had a, a jacket on, zipped up, so I didn't even know what T-shirt I was wearing. I opened up my T-shirt, or my, no, my, uh, my jacket, and I'm looking at my T-shirt, yeah, ta-da. Um, and I'm wearing this Hurley T-shirt that is old school. They don't make them anymore, I'm sure. And it has a spark plug with wings on it. And anybody that knows me knows, first of all, I love to start stuff. I'm a serial starter. But that God has also given me gifting to, to fly high and above, and it was crazy. Um, and, you know, there these moments that I look back, and sometimes you can only see it looking back, and you go, I could tell you 20 stories of, of ways that in unexpected places, through unexpected people, in unexpected ways, God was directing me and reminding me that his presence is with me. His spirit wants to fill and guide and empower me. I'll, I'll fast forward to last weekend. You know, our little church canopy, we occasionally go to the OC Rescue Mission and just serve there in different ways, but we were invited to do a little church service at the mission. And uh, I was trying to assemble a crew. We, we have a pretty ragtag bunch. My son, Caden, um, who's 21, he was actually here last week. Uh, I said, hey, would you lead worship with me? He's like, I don't do that. Um, he's a great musician. He's got a great voice. He's like, I don't do that. I'm like, well, why don't you try to do that? Just, just to be a blessing to your dad. And he's like, I don't do that. The funny thing is then he disappeared around the corner and he starts playing his guitar and he's singing. And then he comes back and I go, hey, you sound pretty good. He goes, dad, what are, are you stalking me? What's up? I'm like, you're right around the corner. Come on, give me a break. But he said, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. So never, he's never led worship before. My friend Taylor, who leads a business in Orange County, never preached before. I just have this sense of he's, he's the guy to preach. And my friend Liz, um, who's really the prayer warrior in our church, I had her come up and open in prayer. And I said, if God gives you anything to kind of just prophesy into the meeting, she's like, I don't do microphones, period. She goes, I don't want the microphone. I'm like, you're gonna get to know the microphone today. And, and you guys, it was just one of those moments where here we are, it's a very unfamiliar context for us. We normally meet in homes. Unlikely people, a guy that's never led worship, a guy that's really never preached, and a woman that doesn't like microphones. And I'm sitting there watching the Spirit of God fill them, empower them, use them, watching people come down, and I'm just reminded this is how God does it. It's not about having to get Darren there because he's so gifted, or having to get Faith there because she's so gifted. That would be great, but, but more often than not, God wants to take the credit through people that it wouldn't make sense apart from him. Does it make sense? Amen. Yeah, and that's the story of this church. But not only this church, the garden, that what you need to hear today as we land 
the plane here is that that is intended to be the story of you. That's intended to be the story of you because God is so much more interested in what's happening out there than here. You know that. You know that. It's funny, last story I'll tell is I, um, a year, actually two years ago, uh, the church that Darren is at right now, do you guys know that Darren's been in this amazing church in Ireland um, serving with some friends to do this conference? I was there. It's called Causeway Coastal Vineyard. Alan Scott, who's a friend of the garden, and his wife Catherine led that church. So I was there with my same son, Caden, who is playing the skeptic role again. And we get there, and we were gonna go to a church service there. Well, I'm completely lost. I'm just driving in sheep fields. I'm driving on the wrong side of the road, I'm sitting on the wrong side of the car, and it's, it's a stick shift. It's a disaster. And so I can't figure out the directions. We finally get into the right town, and I'm like, we're never going to find this church. And I pull over to a gas station, and this is, you know, this is Ireland. This isn't like Christianity Central, but I just asked the, the guy, the attendant there, I'm like, do you by any chance know where Causeway Coastal Vineyard is? And he goes, of course I do. Everyone knows that church. Everyone knows that church because they help people so often and so many people's lives have been changed through that church he's like it's over there he didn't go to the church he's like oh i know about the church it's almost like you like a hot spot a wi-fi hot spot it's like the signal is strong the force is strong with that church right and so we go to the church we go to the church and we've missed the entire message alan is basically saying amen i'm like oh darn it because i wanted kate in to hear alan and i was hoping he gets zapped or whatever that looked like and (laughs) kaden's totally sketched out anyway. He's standing in the back of the auditorium with me and then somebody comes over to Caden during the response time and I'm expecting this cool Irish accent because, you know, God really uses British accents to, you know. And it's an American. I'm like, oh, this isn't going to work. It's some American girl and she comes over and begins praying for him and prophesying over his life and he is wrecked. And it's not like he falls down crying. I can just see his eyes get wide and he realizes there's something happening that he had not been prepared for. It's an unexpected place, unexpected person, in an unexpected way. He didn't go up front. Up front came to him. And I am grateful that this is that kind of church. You guys need to trust that as God has called you into this story, it is to be a part of his greater church, the movement of the church, but it's to be a part of this church family. Again, not as a volunteer, as somebody that gives a couple hours, maybe, to serve every couple weeks, as family, and as a part of a church that is called to showcase an expectancy around the Holy Spirit that's gonna draw people in. And Darren gave you an equation last week for power. I wanna just close with an equation for expectancy. I love that word. If there's a word that I would want every church to grow in, it's this idea of expectancy, and it just means more and more of what could only be explained by God. And to have expectancy, I believe, in our lives and our church, we just need to be awake and available. It's that simple. Awake, meaning we are often people that are not living in the moment. You know that? We're living ahead of moments, behind moments. We're checking out for moments. Netflix is is very helpful in that or Instagram, whatever it is. And you have to be people that are paying attention. I was walking out. I had a few minutes before we were praying down here. And honestly, I was thinking about my message. I'm like trying to think of my points. I'm like, man, I need to wake up right now. And I thought, I just want to go walk the streets of Long Beach for one second. I got three steps out the door. I met John from Samoa. You guys know John. They were just talking about him. And John comes up and introduces himself to me. And so suddenly I'm like, whoa, okay, this is kind of a cool conversation. And then I'm thinking, you know, I really need to go work on my message. (laughs) Um, I need to get this message in my mind. But instead, 
moving from being awake to saying, I wonder if God has something in this for me. And so I just said, I, I just want to make myself available. And I said, John, what's your story? Like, how did you come here? And you need to hear John's story. Many of you have heard it. It is ridiculous. Just the journey God has led him on out of addiction and recovery, homeless on the streets, white flag to Jesus, just completely saying, I need you, touched by the Holy Spirit. So God meeting him in an unexpected place on the streets, in an unexpected way, given an apartment, given a church family. And I asked him, do you have family here? Um, and he said, this is my family. This is my family. And all that was just through me waking up in a moment and then being available to stick around and live that moment out. Does it make sense? And it's that simple, you guys. If we are able to stay awake, stay awake and available, the Holy Spirit wants to keep writing acts through us. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.